Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, Tyler, we are on to week three of the college football season right here in the college football pack. Your host, Patrick Conn, the senior editor of the College Wires, with me as always, Tyler Natuno of LSU Tigers Wire and a known Florida Gator, un- unapologetic, blatant homer. Uh, I, you know, I blatantly homer on my tech team, so I don't know about I'm that. I'm not man. knocking you. I'm not knocking you. Uh, you know, it's interesting when we look at, you know, earlier this week we already looked back at games uh, pre or reviewed. Today we're going to preview some games. We have about 11 games we're going to get to. And then at the end of the show, me and Tyler, we're going to talk about our early favorites for the college football playoff because who doesn't love a way too early argument, as well as who we think our finalists are as of right now going to New York for the Heisman Trophy ceremony. But before we get into that, let's talk about the games that are actually going to be played this weekend. And we're going to start in Gainesville, Florida, going to the Swamp. We have the Tennessee Balls, who are a team that don't look um, as impressive as I thought they would be, or or you. I, I don't I don't think you you thought that they were all that impressive this season. Go against a Florida team that I'm we're not real sure about whether you know it's defensively, offensively, you know what Napier is doing. But Florida doesn't look like a team that is building upon last season. Uh, but that's where we're going to start and. Uh, uh, Tyler, so let's let's talk Florida Gators. Give me the reasons why I should be buying or putting on my orange and blue glasses uh, for this game. I'm not necessarily saying you should. I do think, though, this is a game that's worth keeping an eye on. Um, honestly, I mean, as we've established, I'm a blatant homer. But I do think that this really is, honestly, maybe the most compelling game on a pretty weak week three schedule. I think it's a really interesting matchup because you look at Tennessee's offense, and I think, like you said, it's been a little bit slow to start the year. You know, I mean, I personally kind of thought this would be a pretty turnkey offense. You know, you lose a lot of pieces from last year. You lose, you know, Jalen Hyatt. You lose Hendon Hooker, obviously. It's, you know, you're not running it back with the same personnel, but just schematically, Heupel's offense is just so effective in college football that I really didn't think there would be much of a drop-off. It's hard to tell early, but it kind of seems like there has been, you know. Took a little bit to get going against Virginia and a really slow start against Austin P last week uh, in an FCS game before eventually pulling away. That game was tied at six late into the second quarter. So I think there are maybe some concerns about this offense with Joe Milton, the guy who has a really good arm, but, you know, throughout his career has kind of had some struggles with accuracy. So, you know, they're going up against a Florida defense that was really bad last year, but and through two games looks improved. It's hard to say how improved because they played a Utah team without their two best players on offense and then McNeese. Um, but, you know, I just think from in terms of being in the right position, swarming to the ball, I think they're doing the right things. And I'm really curious to see how this secondary, which is, is, is talented but young, handles this Tennessee passing attack, which hasn't looked incredible so far. To be honest, though, my, my big concerns with Florida are on the offensive side of the ball here. So, 
you know, you were able to establish the run last week against McNeese. I don't really read too much into that because it's McNeese. Um, you should be able to establish the run against McNeese. And you really weren't able to establish much of a downfield passing game. Uh, they hit one big play at the end of the game from Graham Mertz, but most of the ones they, they missed on. So that doesn't give me a lot of confidence, uh, especially considering they struggled in the same ways against Utah. But I do, I really am believing uh, in, in Florida's defense. I think I can really see a reality where they're able to slow them down in a way that not many teams were able to last year. And I realize I could look really stupid for this when we uh, meet again on Monday, but I, I'm going with it. Bold prediction here. I think Florida gets the win, a huge uh, tenure-defining win at home for Billy Napier. Worth pointing out, Tennessee has not won in Gainesville since 2003. It's been a long time. It has been a lot of time. A lot of things have changed. I will agree with you in terms of I'm taking Florida plus the points in this. You got a seven-point spread. Uh, I'll, I'll take Florida to the cover. I don't know that they necessarily win this game. But my big question is Brew McCoy. He was a guy that coming into this season we thought a lot of, and we thought that he was going to be the next guy to step up. So my question is, will the real Brew McCoy stand up and, and kind of lead this offense? But as far as Florida is concerned, my big worry is how do they slow down Aaron Beasley and Tyler Barron? You know, Beasley leads their team in sacks. He leads them in tackles for loss. They've got to find a way to neutralize him and allow that running game for Florida to get going. So I'm not going to knock you too much for taking Florida in this game uh, because I am going to take them to cover uh, against a Tennessee team. And it would be something if, if Florida was to win this game and really shake things up in the SEC East. Now, going into another Power 5 game that we have, it's a conference game in the Big Ten. Penn State, Illinois. If you remember this game last year, this was the multi-overtime battling two-point conversion game. I, I, what was it, eight, nine overtimes? I, I can't even recall. Uh, it was absolutely ridiculous. And the fact that it made me question a lot about the Penn State team last year with, with Sean Clifford running the show. It's a little different this year. We saw Illinois already against Kansas last week, Friday night. Uh, we saw what Kansas was able to do. And I think if, if they had trouble with Devin Neal, uh, with Kansas, Nicholas Singleton is going to run up the score on him. Uh, I think he could really challenge his defense, who doesn't look the same without Ryan Walters, who's now running the Purdue program. Yeah, I, I really agree with you. I think that uh, the way Illinois played against Kansas was pretty concerning uh, heading into this game. You know, they didn't really handle that offense that well, I didn't think. And now they, you know, are facing a guy in Drew Aller who's not as dynamic of a player as Jalen Daniels, but, a, you know, probably a better passer of the football. Looking at Penn State, I'm honestly not really entirely sold on them so far. Like, I think that, I mean, you know, you look at that game one against West Virginia, I think it was a little bit more of a sluggish game than maybe we were expecting. Uh, you know, Drew Aller's final stat line in that game was really good. I thought maybe they missed some opportunities, though, on offense. And then, you know, uh, took care of business against Delaware, an FCS opponent last week. You know, I have questions about Penn State. I'm not sure I'm ready to say this team is going to be competing with Michigan and Ohio State in the Big Ten East. But that, to me, is a far cry, you know, from, from beating Illinois, even on the road. I think they get it done. My biggest question with Illinois in this game, it's more so on Illinois' side than the Penn State side. If, you're, if they're giving up 30-plus points a game, they're not going to win very many because I just don't believe in that offense to put up that many points week in and week out. So if they're, if Penn State can put up the points with Nicholas Singleton running the football, Drew Aller throwing it around, they're going to have a lot of problems. And, I, and that's why I think Penn State's going to win this football game. And I think they win it pretty handedly. I, I, I see this as a double-score game. 
I agree with you. I don't buy into Penn State as much as some others. But right now, for me, it's the lack of confidence I have in Illinois uh, to really make this game competitive uh, from an offensive standpoint. Uh, but we're going to move on to the team that I know that you're going to be covering this weekend. Going to the SEC, LSU, Mississippi State. This is really the first look we're getting, real big look at Mississippi State as they're playing LSU in the post-Mike Leach era. Uh, you know, it's going to be interesting to see because we've already kind of seen that this offense, this team is running completely different, more running the football, less of the air raid throwing it around, which we expected because it would be really hard for him to replace Mike Leach and and go in there with that same kind of offense. I think it's going to be tough for them. Uh, but on LSU side, we have a lot of questions, and, and really it boils down to uh, that offense for LSU and Harold Perkins becoming the player that we saw last year with his absence, especially in that Florida State game, was really concerning for that defense. And it might be how they're utilizing him, but I think they need to get back to utilizing Harold Perkins to his strength against this Mississippi State offense. And let's not forget, Will Rogers can still sling it around. He can still make it difficult on your defense. And as we saw against Florida State, the LSU secondary has shown to be suspect. Uh, but still, in this game, I expect that LSU wins this football game by 10 points. I, I'm going to go with them to cover the spread in this game. Now, Tyler, I know you're going to kind of you're going to you're going to tap the brakes a little bit, but I want to hear what you got to say about the LSU game against Mississippi State. Yeah. Um, so when we previewed the SEC, you know, one of our biggest questions was about Mississippi State. Um, you know, how they would look in year one, how much of a transition it would be from you know, the, the air raid under Mike Leach to whatever identity Zach Arnett wants this program to have um, in the next era. And honestly, I think the that transformation has been a lot more significant um, in year one even than I maybe expected. Uh, I believe the first two games of the year were both uh, the two career lows for Will Rogers in terms of attempts. Uh, I know they're, they're passing offenses, I believe, if not the worst in the SEC right now in terms of yards per game, it's definitely down near the bottom. Uh, and, you know, to contrast that, their run game, which Aquavius Marks, is one of the best in the entire conference. And they've got a really tough defense. So the identity of this program really has changed a lot um, in one offseason under Zach Arnett. It's, it's kind of surprising to see. And this is, like you said, the first real test. You know, they hosted uh, Arizona last weekend, a game that they were up kind of big, squandered a lead, eventually went to overtime. They hang on. Uh, this will be interesting. You know, at home, it's a morning kickoff. LSU struggled with that, a morning road kickoff in the SEC last year against Arkansas. So I'm interested to see how they handle that this time around. I think the problem in this game for Mississippi State, I think, is that I think their new identity might be conducive to winning big games in the SEC, but I think it is kind of a bad matchup in this particular game uh, because of the way LSU is built on defense. You know, like you said, the secondary is a cause for concern after the way they played against Florida State. The front seven, really not so much. You know, Mason Smith missed that game. He's back now. Played a, a small role last week. I expect that to kind of increase this week. And then, you know, Harold Perkins, if you didn't watch the game against Grambling last week, which I wouldn't blame you if you didn't, uh, he actually, most of his snaps came off the edge. So it seems like they're already sort of backtracking from that off-ball uh, coverage linebacker experiment. We'll see how much he does this week against Mississippi State. But I think, you know, LSU offensively, you know, they couldn't run the ball against Florida State, but they were down some guys. You know, Logan Diggs, who didn't play in that game, Notre Dame transfer, led the team in rushing last week. He looked really good. Armani Goodwin coming back from injury, going to make his season debut. And John Emery Jr., who was unavailable for the first two games, is also coming back. 
So I think this is just an LSU team getting back to full strength, even on the road. I don't love that 10-point spread because that's just a lot of points on the road in the SEC. I think they win. I don't think LSU covers, though. Either way, we're on the same page here. We're going LSU in this game against Mississippi State. I just think the talent level and what Jaden Daniels can do, running the football, throwing the football, guiding that offense. Uh, I'm buying into them, and, and Malik Neighbors, I think, has done fantastic. Uh, all right, now we're going to go to the backyard brawl. We have West Virginia Pitt this weekend in Morgantown. Here's my thing. We know that Neil Brown is on the hot seat, so he needs to have a good performance this week. But I will say, going into this game, I actually feel better about West Virginia than I did a week ago based on how they played against Cincinnati. Corey Kiner, the former LSU running back who transferred back home, uh, to go to his home state, he really took advantage of that pit defense. And if C.J. Donaldson Jr. gets rolling in this game, I think he and Garrett Green, who can run the ball a little bit, much like Emory Jones, former Florida Gator, I think you know a little bit about him, uh, what they were able to do against that pit defense gives me some uh, confidence in West Virginia. Do I think that they're going to win this? I'm not ready to say that yet. I still think Pitt wins this football game ultimately. But I think it's going to be a lot closer than many people had initially thought going into the season uh, based on how these two teams are performing. Yeah, um, you know, obviously a game that has a lot of history, a lot of animosity on both sides. So kind of expect it's going to be wild, maybe a little bit chippy, that kind of thing. I think that Pitt is probably the slightly better team still, but I do agree. That performance against Cincinnati was was concerning to me. They, I mean, it wasn't a blowout by any means, but they also really just weren't particularly competitive in that game. Um, and I, you know, I think like you said, West Virginia does have some things that kind of scare you. And I just look at this offense for Pitt, you know, Phil Jerkovic uh, was, was, was fine, uh, in that game last week, but it's just not a very prolific offense. It's nothing like what we saw that year with Kenny Pickett. And it really hasn't been since I just, you know, I think this is a really important game for both coaches. And I think West Virginia really couldn't can't afford to lose this game. I do think I'm going to lean towards Pitt though. Yeah, I think going with Pitt is the smart pick here uh, in this game. But at the same time, there, there's a lot of concern for both teams. And, and Phil Jerkovich is not a quarterback that I'm that I'm going to be too worried about week in and week out. But ultimately, when you look at who's the better coach team, uh, I'm going to go with Pat Narduzzi's group over Neil Brown, who's already feeling the heat this season. As we go back to the SEC and particularly the SEC East, we're going to talk about South Carolina – facing the two-time defending national champion Georgia Bulldogs, who don't look as strong this year. We saw – I mean, you can go back. I know they took care of business against Ball State, but no team was scoring for an entire quarter. And I think South Carolina is a team that can give them a lot of trouble when you look at some of the weapons they have offensively. A well-coached football team under under Beamer, who has his own brand of Beamer ball, uh, really looking at this game as, as a potential huge test uh, for a Georgia team who – two weeks into the season aren't near as dominant as I thought they would look uh, coming out of the gate. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I agree with you that Georgia has not looked maybe the way you expect them to. I just, I don't want to read too much into that because I feel like that's just kind of this Georgia team's MO. I mean, if you'll remember mm -hmm. last year, they had a pretty sluggish game against Kent state too. Um, granted pretty good Kent state team with a Sean Lewis offense that spoiler alert, looking pretty good out in Boulder right now. But uh, you know, yeah. I think that uh, this game is probably not going to be close, but it's one that I'm sort of talking myself into a little bit just because 
of how much Georgia lost. I mean, on especially on defense, but on offense too. You know, we have a lot of questions. They haven't been tested yet. You know, games against Tennessee, Martin, and Ball State. Okay. Uh, you know, I want to see it against someone in the SEC, even a middle of the pack team like South Carolina that just to be frank, has problems. Like I'm disappointed so far with the way they've started the year. I think, I mean, it looked fine against Furman last week, but that North Carolina loss was disappointing. You know, they struggled against that defense. And I think we thought maybe North Carolina's defense had turned a corner, but after the way it played against App State last week, like, I don't know. The fact that South Carolina couldn't finish drives in that game and get, get the ball in the end zone is really concerning, you know, going up against a Georgia defense that is going to be a lot better. But the South Carolina offense does have explosive potential, and that's what kind of makes this game a little bit interesting to me. Is can Spencer Rattler hit a couple of those big plays, keep them in the game, maybe put some pressure pressure on Carson Beck that he hasn't seen yet as a starter, force him to hit some big throws? Maybe it stays interesting. The spread here is huge. I mean, I don't think Georgia's going to cover it. It's, it's like 27 points or something like that. It's hard to believe. But I don't think they win, but I'm just curious if they can keep it interesting. Yeah, it's strictly from an entertainment spe- uh, perspective. Uh, it's strictly from how does Carson Beck handle his first bit of adversity, if there is any in this game. Uh, they've been able to get by lesser opponents, but I really want to see what Spencer Rattler could do. A guy that we expected to kind of return to his early form from Oklahoma, uh, his, his redshirt freshman season, we haven't really seen that Spencer Rattler yet. We've seen flashes of it, but I'm hoping to see a lot more of it. Uh, and speaking of that North Carolina team, that's where we're going next is we're talking about a Big Ten matchup, Big Ten versus ACC. We have Minnesota playing against North Carolina, and I'm interested to see if that Minnesota defense can slow down a Drake May who, like we saw against South Carolina, was able to take care of business. Yeah, uh, you know, I think last week I kind of talked about Illinois-Kansas being the contrasting styles game that I was really interested in. To me, this is the contrasting styles game of the week uh, in week three. You know, you look at a Minnesota team that, you know, plays just a really physical brand of football, kind of do the same thing every year. You know, they looked the part against Nebraska in week one, won that game 13-10, to 10, I believe. Um, you know, I think that, you know, versus a North Carolina team that obviously can move the ball and score very quickly with Drake May. Drake May, I think, has been a little bit shaky to start the year. You know, had a couple interceptions in the South Carolina game. I thought missed some plays um, in the App State win. But obviously, you know, still a lot of high-scoring potential from that group. I think that it'll be a tough test for North Carolina, but I also do think they'll probably pull away just because I don't think Minnesota really has the firepower to keep up unless they just deliver a really, really impressive defensive performance, which I think is just a tough ask against a, a team this talented. Yeah, it's not like Ibrahim is walking through that door to help Minnesota on that run game because he really was a huge part of it uh, in recent years. But you're right. I don't think they have the firepower to keep up with Drake May and reaching that potential. So I'm going to go with North Carolina in this game. Uh, and now we're going to get into a game I'm really excited to talk about. And mostly because I, I want to see what Michael Penix Jr. has in store for us this week. We have Washington going to East Lansing to play Michigan State. And, and this is interesting because I am not sure, even with Mel Tucker, uh, that Michigan State is going to have their heads on right for this game uh, because this, this is a defense or a team that can put up a lot of points on your defense, and that's got to have a lot of people in East Lansing concerned with Washington coming in. Yeah, you know, so obviously no, no Mel Tucker in this game. Um, you know, he, interim coach is Harlan Barnett, guy who's already in the staff, and then uh, Mark D'Antonio actually coming back. 
you know, so to be an assistant, interested to see how they look in this game. But like, I'll just be honest with you. I don't think this game really had a lot of juice uh, before any of that happened. Like, I I think this was probably going to be a pretty comfortable win for Washington already. Add in the distractions off the field, the turmoil within the program, the uncertainty about the future. You know, some of these guys might be looking to transfer. Uh, you know, obviously when a coach gets fired, which has not happened yet, uh, they have a 30-day window down to the portal. So I think that I just don't really see how Michigan State is going to keep this game close. I will say, you know, looking at Washington, they've played Boise State and Tulsa. Michigan State, not a great defense, but still a Big Ten defense. Probably going to be the toughest test that passing offense has faced so far, but I don't think it's going to be enough to slow down what has been, you know, probably the best passing attack in college football the last two seasons. Go ahead and put me down for the lock of the week. Washington by two touchdowns over Michigan State in this one. I I think they're easily going to cover the spread on this because the lack of offense and the inability to really slow down Michael Penning Jr., and that three-headed passing attack. And, and let's not forget, they can run the football as well. So, for me, Tyler, it's it's going to be the two touchdowns at least in this game. Yeah, I, I fully agree with that. I think that's a pretty safe lock of the week pick. Uh, I'm very surprised if Washington does not win in cover. Well, then that takes us to a rematch from last year in Provo, Utah. We have BYU going to Fayetteville, Fayetteville, however you want to say it. Uh, going to Fayetteville, Arkansas to take on the the Razorbacks, uh, looking to kind of return what was happened to them last year. You know, Arkansas came in, had a 24-point outburst in the second quarter of that game in Provo to to comfortably lead and win that game 52-35. to Uh, Are we expecting another high-scoring affair like that, or or does does, does Slovis have enough offensively to keep up if, if Arkansas is able to put some points on the board? Uh, spoiler alert, I think no and no. Uh, you know, I think Arkansas veteran team came in with some pretty high expectations because of what they return, um, and so, sort of a, a leverage year for Sam Pittman to kind of, kind of show where this trajectory is heading. Haven't really been tested yet. A little sluggish last week against Kent State, who's maybe one of the worst teams in the FDS. It's not the most encouraging result there, but also it's not like BYU's had particularly encouraging results. I mean, Week one, they win 14 to nothing against Sam Houston State, a transitional FBS team in its first game up at this level. Last week, they kind of play with their food a little, a little bit against Southern Utah, eventually pull away no problem. I don't really believe in Keaton Slovis, if I'm being honest with you. I think that this game being on the road would make it a lot tougher for BYU. I think K.J. Jefferson and Rocket Sanders kind of finally have that game that you've been waiting for where they, where they look the part. Um, first real test for them, but I think they're going to pass it. This is my lock of the week, actually. I think Arkansas wins this game pretty easily. I think I got, I'm going to go with you on this one, Arkansas, uh, in this one. I, I don't think offensively BYU uh, – they haven't shown me anything yet that leads me to believe that they have it in them to take them out this week. Uh, moving on to this next game, uh, we have Georgia Tech Ole Miss. Now, Ole Miss was a team that I took last week to cover and to beat Tulane, which – I was correct as they pulled away late. A lot of that had to do with the fact that Pratt was not playing. I don't know if Pratt made a difference in the win-loss, but I think that game would have certainly been closer. Going into this week with Georgia Tech, I think they're a lot – they're a, a much improved team from a year ago. They don't have Jeff Sims costing them games. <laughs> Shout out to the Nebraska Cornhuskers for taking that one on. You know, but I really looking at this team, I think Haynes King, he's really he looks really good. Now that he's not under Jimbo Fisher, he's looked a lot better this year. 
already thrown seven touchdowns in the first two games of the season. I think offensively they have enough to kind of keep up with a team in Ole Miss who does have trouble with turning over the football, specifically Jackson Dart. We've seen that in the last year or so. Um, so looking at this game, I think it's going to be a lot closer than a lot of people are anticipating, but uh, I'm going to go ahead and throw it in there. Uh, this is my bold prediction. I'm taking Georgia Tech to beat Ole Miss this weekend. Yeah, I like I like kind of where you're thinking with that pick. I, Georgia Tech, I don't know quite what to make of this team, uh, which I think is the case for a lot of the teams sort of in the middle of the pack in the ACC. It's hard to know. I mean, you know, they lose that shootout week one, the Louisville game, where I think they looked really good, uh, all things considered. I agree with what you said. I think that uh, it's pretty clear already that Haynes King is an upgrade for Brent Key this year at quarterback. I think that raises this team's ceiling quite a bit. Um, I think that's been backed up by what we saw Jeff Sims do in his Georgia Tech career and what we've seen from him this year at Nebraska, like you talked about. I think that it's pretty obvious that this is an improved Georgia Tech team offensively. Uh, We'll see about the defensive side of the ball because they kind of struggled in that Louisville game which is concerning to me against an Ole Miss team that's really explosive, you know, with great run game, Quinchon Judkins. Jackson Dart did struggle with turnovers last year. I think he's looked a lot better, though, to start this year. I mean, you know, when in – I mean, it's pretty clear that Lane Kiffin didn't have a ton of confidence in him this offseason because I don't know how else you would explain taking a multi-year FBS Power 5 starter and a former five-star, uh, you know, redshirt freshman transfer – like, they obviously were trying to test him. He won that job. He's held it down so far. I think Ole Miss looks really good. That win over Tulane was impressive, even without Michael Pratt. I think this game could be close. I like your bull prediction pick, but I do think Ole Miss gets the win. I mean, it's tough to go against Ole Miss. Lane Kiffin has shown that he's able to get it done year in and year out, regardless of the quarterback, whether it was Matt Corral, Jackson Dart. I mean, there's an opp- there might be an opportunity for Spencer Sanders or – Howard if if there's injuries or the struggling uh, but I just really like an improved Georgia Tech team who I think could have won that game against Louisville just didn't go their way but they've got a lot of weapons now we're going to head to the Big 12 now this is a game that's interesting because you have TCU led by Sonny Dykes going up against Dana Holderson who's leading the Houston Cougars these two guys were on the staff under Mike Leach and Lubbock at Texas Tech So it's really interesting to bring these two guys together. But here's another interesting plot point. If Dana Holgerson puts out another dud this week, as he's had the last two weeks, uh, we might be moving him above Neil Brown as the number one uh, head coach on a hot seat going into week four. Uh, You know, in week four, Houston has to play Sammy to State. Probably not going to mess with him too much. Uh, But they have Texas Tech coming up in, in a couple of weeks. And, and then things are really going to get exciting as, as conference play kicks up. So for this game, I really think that Dana Holgerson has to send a message uh, that he's going to be in, in play for, for quite a while. Yeah, uh, sticking with the superlative themes here, I, I kind of just got this game. This is my, like, bad vibes bowl uh, this week. I think whoever loses this game is, is not going to be feeling very good. Uh, I think looking at TCU, I think we sort of – overreacted a little bit to that Colorado game. I mean, you know, look, they didn't have any film on that Colorado team. That Colorado team was better than all of us thought they were going to be. Pretty probably everyone except for Deion Sanders was wrong about what that Colorado team was going to be. So I don't really blame TCU for getting punched in the mouth a little bit. In a game, by the way, that they still could have very easily won. 
Um, so I, I'm not like too down on TCU in a year that we expected them to take a step back. But losing this game, I think, would be a lot worse. I mean, not like Sonny Dice is in trouble or anything, but it just it wouldn't be it would kind of signify that this team is heading towards a pretty big step back I think especially with just where Houston's at and where Houston's at is not in a good spot you know losing to Rice last week really might have accelerated uh everything as far as Dana goes you know a guy that really just hasn't hasn't worked out the way it looked like it would when they hired him and made him a really high highly paid coach by G5 standards at the time I mean, if you drop this game to hit, uh, to TCU, you're one and two. I mean, already in, in Big 12 play, one game down. Like, I just – the vibes are going to be so bad for Dana. I, I think you're right that he probably wouldn't survive very long. And really, you talk about a guy who's only had – you know, I mean, his first two years at Houston had a losing season. The last two years, he's won a total of 20 games. But I think it's even worse when you look at Rice – falling down 28 to nothing in that game and having to come all the way back, force overtime, and then losing double overtime. You know, it, it doesn't – it's not going to sit well, but if he goes out and beats TCU, I think all is forgotten. However, if it's another dud, then there's going to be problems. You know, he's been a good coach, not a great coach everywhere he's been. So it'll be interesting to see how the Houston-TCU game comes out. Because if TCU loses this game, they're going to have a lot of questions they've got to answer specifically on the offensive side of the ball, because I don't really feel like they're clicking the way that we anticipated, especially for a coach who's known for offense. And, and really, that's where I'm going to start with my concerns with Sonny Dykes. But, you know, I think TCU does, finds enough in this game, and I think they win, and I think it puts even more pressure on Dana Holgerson down in Houston. Now, and our final game that we're going to preview before we get into our way-too-early picks is, is we're going to talk about Colorado. You brought them up, Colorado State, Colorado – now, the only reason that this is interesting is because this is the final tune-up game before we get Colorado versus Oregon in week four. Uh, what are you expecting to see from Colorado in this game, in a game that I don't expect to be very competitive? Yeah, this game's also game day because ESPN and Fox just cannot get enough of Deion Sanders. Uh, so get used to that. I don't think that trend's changing anytime soon. As of today, they're reporting that Fox Big News Saturday might be going to Colorado USC also. So a lot of trips out there. Look, this game shouldn't be close. I, I think you're right. I mean, it'll be interesting to see just because more times watching Colorado play a football team and just to kind of see what this team is capable of on a week-to-week basis. But look, Jay Norvell, good coach at Colorado State. I think that program has a lot of potential, but they're not operating at that level right now. Um, you know, Game one lost pretty bad to a Washington State team uh, that is not, I don't think, as explosive as Colorado is. I mean, the final score wasn't that bad, but it kind of took a fourth quarter explosion from Colorado State to make that final score respectable. I don't really see any way they keep this one close. They're just going to be so overmatched uh, at the skill positions in this game. I'm with you. I, I think this is more about more eyeballs on Colorado, like you said. You know, they're going to probably be out there for the USC game, which happens the week after they play Oregon. So we're going to find out real quick how serious this team is. And and really, right now, I think a lot of people are excited because it's the new hot brand out there. We, we see it time and time again where a team gets hot and, and really the media companies such as ESPN Fox just pounded into the ground. I mean, that's why there's a lot of exhaustion about the SEC because they get forced down people's throats. And we're going to see that uh, in the coming weeks. But with that being said, I still think this will be entertaining and it'll be fun to hear what Dion has to say after the game. 
um, as they head into next week against Oregon. That's going to be a fun one for us. All right, Tyler, let's get into our way too early picks here. Let's start with Heisman candidates. I want to know your three. I'll give you my three, um, and and then we can begin that discussion. Yeah, so uh, my three, I mean, starting at the top, pretty obvious, I think. Uh, It's Caleb Williams. Look, I think that the Heisman voters will legitimately be hesitant to give the Heisman to the same player for the second year in a row. Like, I think if there's another deserving candidate that there's even a legitimate argument for over Caleb Williams, I think they'll get it. But right now, the way he's looked through the first three games, if the season ended today, I, I think I would bet on him winning it again. So that's why I've got him at the top of my list right now. Um, and number two, I've got Michael Penix Jr., um, and just because I want to kind of compare these two guys, I'll go ahead and tell you at three, I've got Jordan Travis from FSU. I, I think to, the reason I've got, I think both these guys are on uh, really explosive offenses are going to put up some great numbers this year, potentially, you know, on playoff teams. But the reason I've got Penix ahead of Jordan Travis is a, kind of twofold. Uh, just because I think the Washington offense puts him in the oppor- in a position to produce a lot more than the Florida state offense will for Jordan Travis. I mean, you know, Washington led the FBS in passing uh, yards per game last year, doing so again through the first couple of weeks this season. So if that trend continues, he's going to have this a prolific passing season. Um, and, and also, I think when you look at the Washington schedule, you know, they've got a lot of big time games. You know, they got games against like USC, against Utah. You know, there's going to be a lot of ranked games, games that put him in the spotlight. And I think it'll just give him sort of more of an opportunity to assert himself on a national stage. You know, I can't disagree with any of that. Uh, I think those are sound picks, Tyler. Uh, I'm going to go differently because, you know, you went first. You took Caleb. You took Fennec. You took uh, Jordan Travis. Completely understand with those. I'm going to go with Quinn Ewers at the, at the top. I think the job that he did against, uh, against Alabama was huge. But also I think if Texas is going to be a legit candidate to be in the college football playoffs this year, it's going to be on the shoulders of Quinn Ewers. And he looked fantastic. He looked like he picked up right where he left off against Alabama a season ago before that injury by Dallas Turner. Uh, but looking at them, that's why I'm going with Quinn Ewers number one. You know, in a lot of times these Heisman polls are all about, or Heisman finalists are all about the quarterback. Um, and I would go with Drake May just based on where we think he'll be. However, I'm going to go with one of the most dynamic players in the country. Uh, Marvin Harrison Jr. at Ohio State. It's going to be a little different this year with Kyle McCord as his quarterback, but he's still dynamic, as we saw with the 71-yard touchdown last week. He can still put up plenty of points on the board. And you can ask George about just how impactful Marvin Harrison Jr. is. That's why I'm going with him in my number two spot. And then my number three spot is going to be Sam Hartman. This guy's only thrown 64 passes this year, but he has 10 touchdowns, no interceptions, 75% completion. When he throws the ball, He's, it's making an impact. And, you know, there's a lot of reason why there is a buzz around the Notre Dame Fighting Irish, especially after that game against North Carolina State in Raleigh. And that's why I'm going with Hartman in the third spot of my top three for the Heisman candidacy. Yeah, I think those are three great picks. You know, Quinn Ewers has probably individually the best passing performance of the season so far. You know, most impressive considering who it came against. Uh, I think – you know, Marvin Harrison Jr., a little bit of a slow start in that first game. New quarterback, a little bit understandable. They sort of made it an emphasis to get him involved uh, in the game last week against Youngstown State. If that trend continues, he's going to have a huge season. You know, obviously hard for skill position guys to, to 
crack that stage, but it's happened before. Uh, you know, Devontae Smith did it a few years ago. So I think that, and then I think, um, sorry, remind me who your last pick, who your last pick was. Well, we had Quinn Ewers, and then I had Hartman uh, after Marvin. Oh, yeah, Sam Hartman. Yeah, I mean, look, Sam Hartman, I'm surprised Sam Hartman and Notre Dame aren't getting more overall national conversations, right? Like, Notre Dame looks really good so far. You know, they could kind of throw everything in a loop when we're talking about the playoff. And if Hartman is leading this team to the playoff, playing the way he is so far, I think there's a good chance he'll end up on that stage. And speaking of playoff, let's get into that. Um, I think we agree on three of the four. Right. Uh, let's just get that out of the way. And then we can argue team number four. I think we both start with Georgia right now, defending two time defending national championship. They still look good. Don't get us wrong. I know we talked about their game against South Carolina, how it can answer some questions. But right now, I still feel like Georgia is the class of the SEC until proven otherwise. And then we both agree that Florida State, uh, just the way that they looked against LSU, arguably they should be the number two team in the country. Uh, you can make that argument over a Michigan team who I'm not really all that sold on this year. Uh, you look at Texas. I think we both agree in Texas right now. If you look at the way that they won that game, uh, you know, I, I believe Alabama led in that game for one minute. That was it. One minute the entire game. Um, and Texas quickly put up a bunch of points with A.D. Mitchell, Quinn Ewers finding him for a couple of touchdowns. So I think we agree on Texas. It's that fourth team that we kind of – are having the conversation about and I know you uh, for instance are going with big blue as your your fourth team uh, in your college football playoff yeah I think look it hasn't been like world beating so far for Michigan but I think they've looked fine against inferior opponents no Jim Harbaugh they're doing kind of weird things with 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 the coaching duties you know I know one of these games they they rotated who the head coach was at halftime so they're sort of just you know having a weird start to the year. I, I'm not reading too much into it either way. And again, none of these games have been particularly close. I still like Michigan. I think most of my uh, preseason opinions about Michigan are still valid. If anything, I think they're honestly uh, maybe been a little bit more validated by some of the issues. It seems like Ohio state may or may not have, I mean, we'll see, but I think if you have to pick which one of those two has been more impressive to start the year, I think the answer is Michigan. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, when you look at a team like – could a team like Notre Dame crash the party? Could a team out west crash the party? Very possible. Very possible. But but for now, I'm, I'm sticking with Michigan just because they've done it the last two years. Yeah, it's a great pick. I, I don't, I'm not going to knock you too much. I'm just not as impressed. Uh, a team that has been impressive has been USC. And you talked about Caleb Williams and what he's been able to do, the points that he's been able to put up. And – and honestly, they haven't really been tested other than a San Jose State that put 28 on them, 14 points in Nevada, one of the worst programs in the country. Uh, Stanford, who's trying to rebuild under new head coach Troy Taylor, only managed to put up 10 points. That game was over by halftime. Now USC is going to start getting into their schedule with Arizona State, Colorado, Arizona. Oh, by the way, Notre Dame, that might decide a, a spot in the college football playoff. It might come down to who wins that game between USC and Notre Dame. USC won it last year. But this year, Notre Dame has a better quarterback, so that's going to be interesting. But uh, for me right now, until proven otherwise, until they start playing some of these games, I'm going to go with USC in that fourth spot. Yeah, I mean, I think that's understandable. I think, you know, we'll see. USC hasn't been tested yet. We'll see if that defense has improved. We'll see if they have the same problems that limited them last year. But I think this offense has only gotten better, you know, even losing a guy like Jordan Addison and stuff. I think still Caleb Williams 
elevates this team to a crazy high level. And because of that, it's hard to count them out against literally anybody in the country. Yeah, and, and we will find out because if you look at the schedule, based on ranked teams right now, I believe they have six games on their schedule, remaining schedule against ranked teams. So we're going to find out a lot about USC. And uh, Alex Grinch, I hope you're ready, buddy, because if you yes. fail, uh, you're done. There's no that Colorado game might score – that might be like 120 total points scored in that game. Uh, smash the over is what Tyler is saying. Yeah, but that's going to do it for this edition of the College 12 Pack. Tyler and Patrick, we'll see you next week. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.